coming up on this week's show, we asked you to pick your favorite moments from the last five years, and for this episode, the focus is on audiobook narrator Joel Leslie. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 252 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. Big thank you to Michael for recently joining us. We'll have more information on how you can join him and the rest of the community at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode. We got lots of good stuff here for you this week, and we're going to get going talking about some TV that we've watched. We have finally caught up to High School Musical, the musical, the series, which is way too long of a title, (laughs) but such a delightful show. We were both, not surprisingly, big fans of High School Musical back in the day. It's hard to believe it's been nearly 15 years since the first movie came out on the Disney Channel. This series, which is streaming on Disney+, Plus, focuses on Miss Jen, who is the brand new drama teacher at the high school where High School Musical was filmed. And she is appalled at the fact that the school has never staged a production of High School Musical the Musical. And she sets about to fix that. This series captures all the nice feel that the original movies had, but updates it into the here and now and has all the same tropes, troped people that were in the original movies. You've got a couple who is going through some relationship strains. You've got the rivals who want the good parts in the show. But it also really jumps forward a little bit because there's a really nice gay couple that sits within all this mix of characters as well. You've actually got Seb who really wants to play Sharpay and he does end up getting that role, which is really awesome and has a nice little relationship with Carlos, the choreographer, too. There's some nice tweaks on several of the high school musical songs. Some new tunes get put in there as well. I so much enjoyed revisiting the movies in this way with these brand new characters telling brand new stories of their high school experiences. It just it was the perfect watch for this midsummer week. Yeah, I really enjoyed the series as well. It's got a tremendous young cast. All of them sing and dance and they do it. They're triple threats. They do it all. It's a lot of fun. If you're fond of YA material similar to Love, Simon, I definitely recommend giving High School Musical, the musical, the series a try. And you can catch that now on Disney+. Plus. I'd like to offer some more book recommendations from our listeners. We've been getting some great stuff from them over on the post that we've left on Patreon. Gustav was blown away by Sean Ascroft's Good Boys series. As he says, there's some fake boyfriends going on, and it's just a really fantastic series. The books Troublemaker, Heartbreaker, and Risk Taker are so worth the read. And then Deb says, Unbreakable Bonds by Rinda Elliott and Jocelyn Drake, along with their entire Ward Security series, have all been reread and re-listened to. And there is no recommendation higher than saying that you've reread and re-listened to a series, so that's awesome. Deb also loved House in the Cerulean Sea and called it the read that she needed this year. And we've seen that a couple of times in the post on Patreon as well. And we do want to thank also Rhonda, Steve, Greg, Mary Ann, and Rob for sharing recommendations over the past month. You can find in the show notes a link to the brand new post that we've got for August, and we would love to hear from you. 
what you're reading and what you're loving and what you think we should be reading as well. You can go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast to see that post and tell us what you're reading. And the first book that we want to talk about this week, I spent the past few days reading Boyfriend material by Alexis Hall. And I have to say, it's a little embarrassing to admit that I've only just now read my first Alexis Hall book. But man, what a first it was. Boyfriend material is simply outstanding. It's funny. It has a swoony fake boyfriend romance at its heart. It's full of wonderfully quirky, funny British people, and I was absolutely delighted by it. Luke O'Donnell is in a major rut. He can't seem to keep a boyfriend, and in fact, his last one sold him out to the tabloids. Luke isn't famous, but his parents are, and as a result of that, he can be tabloid fodder, especially when he's screwing up in public. When yet another compromising photo hits the papers, his job as a fundraiser for a dung beetle charity, yes, you heard that right, dung beetle charity, is at risk as donors begin to drop out of the year's big event. Overall, he knows that his life is a bit crap at the moment. But focusing on one thing at a time, primarily saving his job in the charity event, Luke ends up looking for a fake boyfriend, and he finds one courtesy of one of his friends. Now, Oliver can certainly improve Luke's profile. He's a barrister, a vegetarian, and lives a quite scandal-free life. They agree to help each other. Oliver's got to attend his parents' upcoming anniversary party, and he'd rather have someone to take with him to keep some of the focus off of him. So, in the couple of weeks leading up to the events, they agree to be seen on some dates and maybe even stay over at each other's flats occasionally so it all looks right in case anybody's paying attention or snapping pictures or anything. Now, initially, these two mix about as well as oil and water because they come from such vastly different backgrounds. But man, do these opposites attract. As they go through the motions of establishing their relationship, of course they have to learn things about each other. Luke, or Lucian, as Oliver calls him, much to his delight, shares things about his job at the charity that people don't really understand all that well and what it's like also being the child of rock stars. Oliver also shares his job and what he likes about it. Slowly, they start to care for each other and are often checking in on each other and doing kind gestures. It's crazy sweet, the very slow but deliberate way that Alexis has to bring these two together. It gave me such feels as it just navigated through the ways that they ended up bit by bit falling for each other while they weren't even really realizing it. Unfortunately, these two also don't think they deserve love. Uh, Luke considers the fact that he could always end up in the papers as a reason why he shouldn't have somebody loving him because it's too worth the risk to be in the spotlight. While Oliver is a little bit work-obsessed and also has pretty much the worst parents ever. They were so terrible, folks. It was really bad. Luke, at least, has a great mom, even while his dad hasn't been that present in his life, although he's trying to reconnect for, you know, reasons. Thankfully, they both have their meltdowns over this at different times over different things. So they get to pick each other up again separately. So there's no one big blowout. They each blow out in different ways at different times. And the ways that they patch themselves back together again just gives them all the more solid foundation to move forward together. Fake boyfriend is a trope we see a lot, and I know it's one of Will's favorites. And I have to say that Alexis uses it so, so well. Where Luke and Oliver could easily get bogged down in their personal crap, Alexis keeps things really light, usually bouncing them back quite quickly from challenges or using a good dose of British charm to kind of ease things out a little bit. 
part of that charm is from the characters Alexis populates this book with. Luke's band of friends and the people he works with are a quirky delight. The friends are really good to Luke and good for him, trying to keep him moving on the right path and helping him out, sometimes going way, way, way out of the way to make that happen, while also giving him a fair amount of grief for his poor choices. Luke's mom, too. I can't tell you how much I loved her. And she's really good for Oliver as well, a a great contrast to his parents. She's a kooky former rock star who now just lives life to its fullest. And I loved every moment that she spent on the pages. I so very much recommend Boyfriend Material. I fell so hard for Luke and Oliver. And I think all of you will too, because it's just perfect, light, fun reading. And I think we all need that right now. And now I need to go back and read other Alexis Hall books, because I totally get what all the fuss is about and why Alexis often shows up on a list of people's favorite books. Well, that sounds amazing. I'm so glad that you enjoyed that one. And since you've picked up a recent release, I'm going to take a trip in the Wayback Machine, and I'm going to talk about a release that's a bit of a blast from the past. It's going to be Honeymoon for One by Kira Andrews. Now, this is one of her older titles. I've had this in my TBR literally forever. I think I bought it on sale a year or more ago, and it's been sitting there ever since. And the cover caught my eye, the bright pink and blue and the two guys sitting on the beach. And it's like, you know what? I need a vacation right now. So I picked up this one and I am so glad I did because Honeymoon for One is about a guy named Ethan who on the eve of his wedding finds out that his fiance has been cheating on him with his very best friend. So understandably at the beginning of the story, Ethan is emotionally broken by this betrayal trail, but he's also a bit mentally frazzled because he is hard of hearing. A degenerative condition that he has has left him almost completely deaf. But despite everything, he decides to take off on his Australian dream honeymoon all by himself. But he quickly realizes that he has been depending on his fiance and his best friend for far too long in order to navigate the hearing world. And despite the hearing aids that he wears, he finds dealing with crowds or social situations very, very frustrating. But some of that frustration is mitigated by Clay, one of the tour guides. He takes Ethan under his wing and helps him out whenever he can. Seeing the sights in the great country of Australia, they go snorkeling on the Great Barrier Reef. The two of them end up striking up a friendship. And there's actually a really lovely scene when the two of them share an early morning sunrise in a coastal beach town that's a stop on one of the tours. They just sit there and they have a really long, interesting, meaningful conversation. I've seen this book described as slow burn, and I don't think it's quite that in the classic sense of the word, but I do think Clay and Ethan sort of slow walk their way to the realization of their attraction to one another and what that's going to mean for them. Now, unfortunately, at one point in the tour, the batteries in Ethan's hearing aids die, and he's unfortunately lost his spares, which causes him to panic briefly. But Clay takes everything under control and assures him that they'll find replacements and takes him out to dinner to a local pizza joint. And they end up passing like a notepad and pen back and forth and just spend the evening talking. It is so remarkably sweet. At the end of the tour, Ethan's Airbnb falls through. So Clay suggests that Ethan stay with him. And it's at this point when they're in close proximity (laughs) That Clay decides to finally satisfy his curiosity about what it might be like to be with a guy. They sleep together, and it is absolutely amazing and wonderful and fulfilling. Everything both of them needed. 
And there's a really adorable conversation that the two of them have, whether Clay might be gay or bi or maybe he's Demi. And Ethan assures them that it's like, you know what, Clay, it's okay. You just slept with a guy for the very first time. You've got time to figure this out. Which later leads to an awkward situation where Clay has to come out to his daughter. It's funny and awkward and charming and it really illustrates kind of the sweetness and the realness of the connections and the relationships that these characters have with one another and the other people in their lives. Eventually, Ethan's time in Australia is going to have to come to an end, and they're ready to part ways. But luckily, they realize, even though they've known each other for an incredibly short period of time, that one they want out of life, that sort of something simple and genuine is what they found in one another. So I fell really hard for Ethan and Clay. They're two kind, sweet, slightly damaged heroes that I really enjoyed. The audiobook also happens to be read by today's guest, Joel Leslie. And you know he had a grand old time with those Australian (laughs) accents. Since this is an older title, most of you have probably already read Honeymoon for One. But if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly recommend it. Sounds like you found the perfect book to kind of transition your way out of the holiday romance as you were reading last month. Yeah, it's a really lovely summer read. I enjoyed it an awful lot. So we should mention that the audiobooks for Honeymoon for One and Boyfriend Material are both available through Libro.fm, where you can purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Listeners of Big Gay Fiction Podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. So to get information on that, simply go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O-F-M for all the details on that. And of course, if you want information on anything that we just talked about, whether it's the books or High School Musical, the musical, the series, or anything else, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 252 at biggayfictionpodcast.com. In The Hockey Player's Heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knauss, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before, and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get The Hockey Player's Heart at Amazon.com. It's been really great seeing all of the guests that listeners are putting in as their favorites from the first five years of the Big Gay Fiction podcast. And we're kind of excited that our first one out is with Joel Leslie, who is one of our very favorite audiobook narrators that's out there. This particular segment that we're going to listen to features Joel in three different interviews. The first is from way back in episode 74, which aired March 6, 2017, and features Joel alongside author Haley Walsh, and they were talking about the Scholar Fox mystery books. Then it's on to episode 104 from October 10th, also of 2017, when Joel was talking along with Marshall Thornton about Marshall's book Femme. And then we cap it off with just a little bit of Joel from one of his Pride Month episodes from this year. So here's a little retrospective of Joel on the show. So Joel, what's your backstory? 
I grew up in Bermuda, of all places, which is a British colony. And yes, the triangle. And I can explain all about the Bermuda Triangle. I need to, to make a diagram, though. It involves, it involves visual aids. Okay. Uh, but so I, I, I ended up growing up there. My parents are American, but I ended up growing up in this British colon, Commonwealth and going to a British school with teachers from all over the UK. And my best friend was Scottish. And so I grew up around all these different sounds. And if my parents weren't American, I basically would have probably spoken with a British accent all the time. So I ended up as this kind of weird mutt hearing all these sounds. And then went to USC for performance. And while I was there, kind of discovered that I had a gift for dialects and accents and sort of focused on that. My intention, I mean, my, my primary career goal was, was quickly to become a director, a stage director. But I really had this huge passion for for speech and oddly enough dramatized literary works and in fact the thing that made me fall in love with theater was the the rsc dramatized version of nicholas nickleby and so i did that i did that in college then i i did my master's in directing and then i went to london to apprentice and and worked as a director there and did things like assistant directed delicate balance with maggie smith and eileen atkins and did a bunch of cool stuff and then ended up moving to new york where i met my partner rich who you've met and we wanted to start a theater company. So we found this 100-year-old building in the middle of Indiana. I had never even been to Indiana. We found this 100-year-old vaudeville house, and we moved there. And over the past 10 years, we sort of renovated it and turned it into a full-size working theater, professional theater company, which is great, except for the fact that it's in Indiana and in the middle of kind of nowhere in Indiana. And it's it's been very tricky as the in the past eight years as the socioeconomic climate has changed and the political climate has changed, it became really difficult to get something like this to grab hold. No matter how proud we were of the work we were doing and the reviews that we were getting and the you know and all that, just actually getting bums on the seats was very difficult. And I was also, I'm also a, a professor and I was, I was teaching university here. I was running the drama department for a while here. And then, so through a whole series of events, we decided to sort of try something else. And at the same time, a friend of mine who, uh, a female who's very successful at audiobooks, said to me, you know, you should try this. Because one of the things I did when we ran the theater company was I would do like these little one man show versions of, of famous books. I did Dracula and Sleepy Hollow and Treasure Island. And she said, you should try this. And I was like, okay. And I did. And it has been, you know, I've always been a huge fan of audiobooks. I've always been very, loved them and really inspired by them. And the fact that it suddenly has turned into something that I do full time for a living is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, I think the first book that I ever auditioned for was the first Skylar Fox book. And and from there, eight books later and 90, 90 titles later, it's turned into a full time gig that I love. It's fantastic. So, Haley, you brought Skylar to audio in 2015, after there were already a few books out. What led you to that choice? And then how did you two make the connection to start working together? Well, I really wanted audio because I, I just wanted accessible to as many people as possible. The Skyler books are bought in a lot of foreign 
countries. They're all still in English, but they're bought in all kinds of places. And audio seemed more accessible to a lot of people. Plus, I really wanted to hear the characters. So that was sort of a, a push for me. And Amazon has a self-publishing arm for, for audio. It's sold through Audible. And it's, it's called ACX, and you find uh, your narrators there. You can hire them outright, or you can share. It's match.com match for audiobooks. It really it is. is. It is. We are. We, we, totally, <laughs> we totally have to like each other and, you know, exchange pictures. Now, you basically hear lots of different auditions from, from narrators. You, you go and you know, plug in all the different things about your book. You want a male narrator. He has to be about this age. You want to be able to do accents or, you know, whatever. You plug that stuff in and a bunch of names come up and you start listening to the guys. Now, he wasn't the original narrator for the series. I, I picked this, this other guy <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I kept telling him, I kept saying, you know, there are some fairly detailed graphic sex scenes in this. Are you okay with that? Sure, sure he is. So he was doing the narration for a while and suddenly one day he just flaked away. I never heard from him again. And so I had to start the process all over again. Heard Joel's voice and said, oh my God, that's Skylar. Please accept it, please accept it, please accept it. <laughs> but you said, you said the reason you liked me you particularly liked my audition was the fact that I didn't, that I made Jamie believable. Yeah, yeah. Apparently a lot of people, Jamie is this character in the books that's very flamboyant and he's very kind of over the top and fun. But apparently you said a lot of people had made him, a lot of the male narrators had basically made him too... Stereotypically way over the top. Yeah, and too... Insultingly and too, so, yeah. Yeah. And so apparently I rang true with Jamie and, and the rest is history. But He is the voice of Skylar because when he called my house, and I didn't tell my husband he was calling or really much about this. He knew that there was an audiobook. But when he called, my husband picked up the phone and he said, I heard this pause and he said, Hun, Skylar's on the phone. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew that was right. <laughs> And, and for you, Joel, I mean, of all the things that are running around in ACX to choose to audition for, what drew you to the Scholar books? Well, I've always had a thing. One of my favorite genres is cozy mysteries. I'm crazy about M.C. Beaton's Agatha Raisin series and the her Ham Hamish Macbeth and the, and the number one ladies detective series and those kind of books. I've always loved them. And so to get a chance to do a gay spin on that was so cool. And also for him to be, I love the fact that he really is a role model. Like he's, you know, they say too stupid to live. I mean, he does do very dumb things. However, in terms of the way he teaches his kids, he's a, fan, he's a fantastic role model. And, and he goes through a really interesting journey of, you know, he, come, he, he goes through a coming out process. He goes through coming to terms with basically growing up and what it means to be an adult. And it's, it's really, you know, it was really, really cool. And, and also in that, in that initial audition, 
there were like five very clear, what I call the Scooby gang, his, his best friends who sort of end up swept into the mysteries along with him. But these five very distinct fun characters, I love doing colorful, you know, I'm not, I'm not someone that you hire for a dead read. I'm not someone that goes, page one, the, you know, the mist was very blue in the sky and that's not me. And some people want that. Some people do, some people, some authors get very freaked out if they hear their book narrated, not the way an author would do an author reading, mm. you know? It's not how you do an author reading. That's not how I do. If you're good, if you're good. Um, I wanted to perform, yeah. Right, but a lot of a lot of authors just want their book literally read. Yeah. But these characters sort of jumped off the page and wanted to be performed, and and they were lovely. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of, I guess, hit the jackpot the first time out, which has been fantastic. We love them. <laughs> one thing that happened with, which one is Desert Fox? Is that book five? Um, uh, five, the fifth mystery. Yeah. So. With Desert Fox, what suddenly happens is, out of the blue, because she hates me, <laughs> she decided to make all of these ancillary characters have their own chapters and their own very serious relationship issues. I was lucky that I hadn't made them too, too stereotypical or whatever. You know, you know, when you when you're an actor, you always want to find truth in however big you go. But it was a real challenge to suddenly take these these characters that were meant to be the comic relief and give them their own focus and give them their own, you know, relationship arguments and, and bedroom problems. And so, yeah, I was ready to kill her after that one. But <laughs> well, you gotta she, mix it up. You gotta mix it up. also not allowed to add, she keeps adding students to the class and it's just, oh, you're I'm not like, gonna like me at Every time he adds a damn exchange student or someone new, I'm like, really? How many straight teenage boys can I voice? Yeah. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite things about the series is that the murders, the murders are great, but they are, they're not what makes me excited to, to see what happens, to, to read each next chapter. She, right. charts the, she charts the relationships and the growth of Skylar's relationship with Keith and and the relationships with the other characters and their relationships you know it's it it really becomes this family you care about and I think the fact that you care about the characters makes them getting into perilous situations matter much more to you as a reader Mm -hmm. so but yeah no it's I would say probably out of at some point in each one maybe out of six out of the eight books I've done I would say I've ended up in tears at some point while narrating it (laughs) So is that tears uh, of laughter? So much. <laughs> T- tears of laughter or tears of sadness? Tears of tears of 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 sweetness. Okay. Um, there's a, there's, there's always a, some pathos, maybe. Yeah. There's there's a a first time scene in one book that for, for these two teenagers that is just really beautifully written. There's a prom scene that's fantastic. So yeah, no, it's it's great, and and you know we haven't talked about the fact. Well, you did sort of mention the fact that the books are also very sexy. They are. She writes good sex scenes. Yes, she, she really does. does. The other the other thing that I think really makes me happy about the series is, and this is this sounds stupid, but with you know so many so many women are writing in this genre for us, um, which is fantastic, and the audience is largely women. 
But what tends to happen for me as a narrator, I found, is you almost always end up with versatile couples. Everybody's versatile. Every single person in the world is versatile. I love the fact, this sounds dumb, I love the fact that she's written this really great hero who's a bottom. I think that's awesome. I'm because proud that, of it. That doesn't happen. No, that it doesn't really doesn't. Happen, you know, where, where the lead character is, you know, a receiver. And I think that's great. I and I did really that cool. on purpose because I was tired of reading that too. And I thought, no, just you know, it's, it's, these it's, are not the people I know. <laughs> so. It's great to narrate a series where I don't have to worry about trying to sound straight in order to voice a gay man, which mm -hmm. happens to me a lot. I mean, a lot of the time I'm voicing like alpha males and it's like I'm in special ops and like they're great books. But <laughs> I love the fact that Skylar really is some gay guy that you'd be friends with and hang out and have brunch with on a Sunday. Like mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's not this idealized version of, of anything. You know, he really, he's such a fully rounded, plausible, flawed character. But I love the fact that she writes tops and bottoms and that's so cool. What was it like for you to, to find Skylar's character and how did it change from, the, from what you might've had in the audition to what's actually in the books? Well, this is, this is slightly interesting. When we, we started Skylar, his voice was my voice. But, I, but since then, because I've become a full-time narrator and because I'm doing so much other genre of material, my pitch has actually dropped. Mm -hmm. so, now, so now when I voice Skylar, I actually have to sit him higher up than my own voice. Oh. And we did, and there was book three, I think, I sent Haley the first 15 minutes and she was like, what the hell is going on? Why are you so depressed? This is <laughs> and I was sad. Like, oh, shit. So I had to sort of like figure out how to now play Skylar now that my own voice had changed. But Keith kind of sits at the bottom of my range and Skylar sits slightly above my own range now. And Jamie sits right at the top of my range and he's much more <laughs> colorful and he's there. And, you know, the others are... It's a lot of them are based on people I know, which is really funny. The lawyer character is definitely someone I know. What a coincidence! So do I. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but he's very persnickety and particular. My favorite thing about this person is he he picks up potato chips with a napkin. He doesn't he doesn't want to get. He, he he's a little bit germaphobic wow. and he picks up. But he's just sort of and so he's just very careful and that and that's what I like about you know the way I suddenly voiced him so yeah no it's 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 weird but and about that is now when i write them i hear especially philip and and i rodolfo but yeah but definitely philip and and skylar's mother i hear you i know <laughs> and and i and now i sort of write them based on how i think you're going to make them sound when you say certain, you know, phrases and sentences. So that's their, weird. Their vocabulary actually has shifted because the first books that I did, Philip never said the word dude. And I voiced him as a character who would never, the way, the way I did his voice, is he was not someone who would say dude. And then all of a sudden, in like book three, she started writing dude. And I called her up and I was like, what the hell do I do with this? wrote it before you so so, so it's, it's i was gonna weird. say that was bj but that's not a good 
We shift around each other. It's quite funny now. It's interesting you just you brought that up because I, I was curious, like, what's the collaboration between the two of you now that you've been doing this for a while as a new Skylar comes up for audio? Whenever a new whenever a new character shows up, I sort of ask her, you know, not as involved as I do with my with my new writers. We have a sort of a shorthand now, but I'll ask her, like, if you're thinking of casting somebody famous, who would you cast? You know, where are they from? How old are they? That kind of stuff. With my new authors, when I when I approach new material, I send them a whole very detailed character questionnaire. I what ask kind of what animal are they? What kind? I ask what, and yeah. that's actually the most useful one to me is I ask every I ask I ask about every character in the book what animal would they be, and now hmm. I've started listing it as if what would their patronus be because for some <laughs> reason that 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 okay. resonates easier for some people. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. if an author thinks somebody is a weasel versus an owl versus, you know, a snake or a bear, mm -hmm. that makes it very clear to me what that voice is. Mm -hmm. So it really that really helps me a lot. What kind of preparation is there for you, Joel, besides obviously like reading the manuscript to, to get ready to go into the booth? You know, I I have a I've had to start having a very disciplined routine because you get to the point where. The weird thing about being an audiobook narrator is you really you can't go to work sick. I mean, if if you're if if something is, it shows, and and what you recorded yesterday isn't going to sound the same as you recorded today, and that's bad. So I get up and I have to I do a vocal warm up and I have to stretch and I have to do weird mouth exercises and I steam. And I recently discovered that I have reflux. So I've had, I'm on this, like, I have to be on a reflux diet now because that affects my speech. I figured it out. There was a series of about three months when I was releasing books and my reviews kept saying I sounded older than they thought I should. Hmm. And it's because it was because of the reflux. So it involves a certain amount of discipline. But yeah, I record, uh, I record three days in a row and then take a break in between. And on that off day is when I do my prep. It's when I'll be reading it's when I'm reading the next book and making notes and, you know, figuring out character voices and doing research for certain dialects if I need to and things like that. So, so it's three days on, one day off. And yeah, it's a routine. It requires, you know, I think, I think a, I, the, this is one thing that's very similar to being a writer is it requires you having your own discipline because you, you're the only one making you get your butt out of bed and doing the work. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not, um, especially if you're an indie author and, or an indie narrator, as I am, you know, you, it could take me five days to record a book or it could take, you know, a month and a half, depending on if I actually do the work. So I have a pretty tight, have a pretty specific schedule that I work on now and it seems to work. So are there any stories from the booth, Joel, like flubs or numerous things that ended up on the cutting room floor that should be on some DVD extras somewhere? I have one horrifying story and it actually, it doesn't have to do with the Skylar books, but I'll tell you because it's pretty darn funny. You know, one thing about working with in indie authors is that sometimes, sometimes they don't invest in an editor as they should. And if you ever want to be good to your narrator, hire a decent editor because your readers, <laughs> because, oh my God, you'd be amazed that at the stuff that we have to figure out on the fly. But I was doing this one particular book and it was so incongruously edited like sentences just went off. They, they didn't make sense. They didn't make grammatical sense. They ended somewhere they should have been. It was just, 
and I was exhausted and it was like hour seven and I was three quarters of the way through the book and I hit this page that was just like every sentence was a mess. And at one point I just said it to the mic, I can't fucking do this anymore. And it ended up, Rich did, Rich somehow missed it and didn't cut it out. Oh no. So it went, it went to print <laughs> with me going, I can't fucking do this anymore. We we pulled it back, luckily. Oh, that just uh, shows and, you the author how how well they didn't proof their audio book either. Yeah. <laughs> and so so yeah, it missed it missed. It was really funny because we because we had beta read it on our end, beta listened on our end, and he had but whatever. But that's the worst. That's the worst one that's ever happened to me. And, you know, the, the, the lesson that every narrator learns is you have to read the whole book because I did once do an entire, I did once do about half of an entire book and then realized the character was supposed to be black um, because they didn't mention that until like page 134. Mm. And I went, oh, shit. So, <laughs> so those are, you, you learn the ropes quickly. <laughs> when Fem came out in audio, you actually contacted me saying it was like a really honest-to-goodness LGBT romance, and it's a fun treatment of a really important topic, the anti-femme stigma among gay men. Now, you called this an important romance, because here was yeah. a romantic lead who's not the alpha male. You've recorded a hundred books now. I take it you don't come across this type well, very often. what? I don't think you come across often a character who has an al who has a you, you the, the alpha beta thing. I mean that comes up a lot when you're narrating like shifter fiction and stuff like that. You know, when it's very but what you don't end up with is an effeminate character who is a dominant personality, who is comfortable in their own skin and really kind of is functions as a hero in the book and and that's amazing i mean i think what was so is i mean i love doing the male male romance that i do but it is it is a different animal and very often in male male romance you're ending up with two the personalities of basically two alpha males that just happen to kind of come together you know, when everyone is very often versatile and it's and that's kind of it's a it's a different sort of thing. But this was really this really spoke to me as something very true. And the character just I mean, they just jumped off the page and they just kind of like grabbed me. And it felt like something I didn't get to do very much of. You know, I, I don't I wish there was a lot more. LGBT like like actual LGBT fiction versus male male romance that was out there in audio and it doesn't come across it doesn't come across my you know desk very much and what I loved about this is this is a true LGBT novel by an amazing an amazing gay writer and it is incredibly moving and it's mm -hmm. very romantic and it's very funny and it's a romance, but there's not like sex every page. It's not, you know, it's not an erotic romance. It's sexy, but it's not like, you know, there's three sex scenes spread throughout the book and you can sort of anticipate, you know, it's, it was, it was very exciting and very different. And I felt like the, I felt like it was an important, it had a really interesting message 
and and one that I've seen people in my life that I care about and friends deal with. You know, I have um, one of the people that I thought of immediately is I have a friend who's this six foot five guy who actually works um, at Animal Kingdom at Disney. And he wears like makeup to work every day and has like incredibly fierce eyebrows. And like, he's not, he's not in drag at all. Like he, he's very, it's very gender fluid, but, and he's a top like a, but in a, and it's very interesting that he, he has people make fun of him all the time on grinder. Like, you know, I don't believe that that's what you are like. And it, and having a friendship with him made me really go, wow, I totally, I get who this is. You know, it had a, it hit a personal place for me just because of this friendship. So it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Those people don't get represented in fiction. And, and a lot of that because of a lot of that in the male, male romance community, which is mostly what we do is probably because that's not as strong of an appeal to female readers, which I totally understand. I mean, you know, cause that's a huge part of that market. So this was a very different book and it's really touched people like uh, it really has surprised and I've had people have really strong reactions to it, which is so exciting. I mean, it's beautifully written. So, of course, they do. But, you know, I would describe the book as being analogous a little bit to Chiclet more like the relationship between Chiclet and romance is kind of what's going on here. And and so, you know, those two genres have huge crossovers. Yeah, and I think that a lot of M slash M readers would really like the book, and it is it is different in the sense that it's you know follows different a different path and, and, and is much more in the romantic comedy zone and the chicklets than a strict romance. Because, and I think that really has to do with the character growth is much more about personal realization. This is the way I describe it. For me, the difference between a romantic comedy and a romance is that in a romance, love conquers all. And in a romantic comedy, love is the trophy. Love is the reward Mm. for learning a lesson. So, I mean, it's a slight difference, but it's... That's really cool. Well, and I've had people have very strong reactions to these characters. Marshall and I have talked about this. And and I had some, you know, one reviewer in particular who's a very smart, very good, very prolific reviewer of LGBT fiction. She had like this huge response to Dog yeah. and and just thought he was basically a douche. Yeah, Which and, he, it, and he is, you know, I mean. He does douchey things. I mean, you know, the really interesting thing for me with that is that I it never crossed my mind that people would say those things about him when I wrote the book. And in looking at those comments, which I see every so often, you know, I wonder sometimes if it isn't how what their experience of being in the closet is and how closely they can relate to it. Because for me, it was just automatic that, you know, people do incredibly douchey things when they're struggling to get out of the closet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing with me is I, I it was just kind of more like, you know, smack your head, ugh. Like you felt bad for him. I, I felt bad for him yeah. because it's just sort of so wild, you know, that kind of curbs your enthusiasm like, oh, God, I see it coming kind of rather than. But I do think unless you've. 
I think you read this book in a very different way if you've had to go through that journey. I think he's a much more sympathetic character in some ways. And and a very and I think, again, something that isn't really explored much, certainly in the books that I've come across that I've narrated, that sort of journey. How did you two come together for the audio version? Was it as simple as it turned up at ACX one day and you auditioned for it, Joel? Or... It was Haley. It was Bizarrely Haley. Bizarrely enough, right. it was Haley, right? Well, actually, I did not put this book up on ACX because, you know, it's my eighth audiobook. And so I knew the kinds of auditions I'd get. And I just had this cringing thought about all these people sending in terrible Lytles. And I was listening to Haley's book, the second Scholar Fox book. And that's when I heard Joel and it's like, I immediately thought, oh, well, he can handle all these voices and, you know, it doesn't sound inauthentic as so many of the narrators on ACX would in this case. And so I contacted Haley, who I've, I've met several times uh, when I lived out in California, and then I contacted Joel through her. It was very, it was funny because I was in, when he contacted me, I was in New York at the time for a big audiobook convention that they have. And I was already overbooked and he contacted me and I was like, ugh, not sure I can do this. And I was in the hotel room and I think I read like four pages of it. And I was like, oh shit, I have to, I have to do this. There is no possible way I cannot do this. And Rich was so mad at me because he controls my schedule. And it's just, I always am like, can you just spend the space time continuum to find me another four days to do? But I just, ha I just loved it so much straight away. And I, I, I had to do it. And it was, and I was so thrilled to be asked The it was interesting because he kind of, clearly in Skylar, there's a character called Jamie, who's rather flamboyant. And one challenge I had once Marshall came to me via that route was I really worked hard to make sure they weren't the same person. I didn't want them to have the same voice. So that was that was fun. But again, like duo first person, that is audiobook. That's tough. It's hard when you've got two male voices back and forth and you're not using two different narrators, you know. As you were trying not to sound like Jamie, and I could tell you having heard both of the books, you're, you're nothing like Jamie when you're Lionel. How did you find Dog's voice and, and then the nuances okay. with Lionel to make him not Jamie? Lionel is much more, I think Lionel is less of a kid than Jamie is. Mm -hmm. I think Jamie is kind of inside a six-year-old. And I think Lionel is, I think Lionel is, has a lot more survival kind of jaded's the wrong word, but I think there's a there's a there's a lot more bite to Lionel just as a survivor. And it's and so that helped. And then, you know, I, I knew once I found the sort of range for Lionel and what that rate of speed was and that he was a quick thinker and stuff like that, that I needed to kind of find something that would, with my own voice still, you know, Lionel is a little bit kind of like me on like 12 Red Bull. Um, 
And I don't want to see you on 12 Red Bulls. No. Just to say. I'm, I, it's so funny. I, I, I don't drink, and I'm one of those people that people are like, good. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, Dog, I knew I had to go to a lower place vocally. I knew that it would be useful to make him a slightly slower rate of speaking. And he's kind of not... He's not dumb, but he does dumb things. I think he's he he's more his brain is his brain works less quickly than Lionel's does. And something about something about his nickname, this is so silly, but I was thinking of the dog in up. The one that's like, hello, squirrel. <laughs> and something about something about and its name is Doug in the in the up, his name is Doug, which I realized like but something like about kind of like a sort of a puppy that was too big for itself that kind of had giant feet and big floppy ears and didn't quite know. I think in animals a lot. And so, yeah, it was just like, I think the first thing that came to mind was kind of like, oh, crap. And like his entire voice came out of, oh, crap. You know, because that's basically what happens to him over and over and yeah. over again. Um, so, yeah, it was... It was it was fun, and you know, what's so? Interrupt them. The, the yeah, interesting yeah. about listening to you talk about is is that a lot of those things are things you do when you're closeted, lowering your voice, yep. not wanting to seem too smart because that will draw attention to you. <laughs> you know, so those are all choices that people make um, about how they present themselves. Yeah. How's the reaction been between the a, a romance reader who's let's say pick up any of Joel's audiobook titles because they like what he does and they like the genre he's working in versus somebody who may come into this book without being a regular reader inside the genre. I had friends that do not read romance really at all as a genre that I was like, you have to read this book. Like I had gay friends that I was like, this book will mean so much to you and it will touch you and it will stay with you. You have to read this. And I had a bunch of, my, I've had many of my, my sort of romance listeners love it too. And I think a great thing about it is I hope that in some ways it makes some of those romance listeners gives them a little bridge to sort of look at other LGBT fiction that doesn't necessarily, you know, fall under pure romance. Like, Simon and the Homo Sapien Agenda, which is one of my favorite books like ever. And, you know, that, but that's not ever going to show up in like an audible romance search engine. So I think that's really, really cool. And I, I mean, I think what's funny is we've had, I've had, like I've gotten, there's been reviews that have like the headline of the review was like, I want to marry dog. <laughs> and there's been those people that are like, I want to shoot dog. So, which I think is the mark of a great character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's, it's if the character is a cardboard cutout all black and white, then then that's not nearly as interesting as like, you know, we're all kind of we're all not the perfect puzzle piece. And I just I just loved it. And like, really, anybody that I think that what really resonated, I mean, this is this happens like this horrible, like way that we treat each other. And the kind of like judgments that we make about one another within our own community where you kind of feel like we should sort of like all be on the same side and look after each other and be supportive, you know, like 
you know, there's a there's a website called Douchebags of Grinder that you can go on to and like look at, but it's like it is this is the way people are. It's like, oh, I'm straight looking for other straight guys. No, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. But but like it's it's very interesting. And like, you know, people do the same thing with with African Americans and with Asians and with but this weird thing of like people who are comfortable enough to celebrate actually like their gayness really can frighten people. And, and, and that's very, it's, it's such an interesting thing about us. And I think it's important and it makes people, it certainly makes you think about yourself and like how you adjust yourself when you do anything, you know, how you're, how, what kind of masks we wear. Mm -hmm. So between your two nom de plumes, you've voiced hundreds of books and no doubt hundreds of LGBTQ characters at this point. We're over, we're over 200 LGBT books at this point, definitely. Which is just incredible. What does it mean to you as a gay man to get to bring voice to all of these characters? It, it, means, it means an awful lot. The thing that excites me so much about about being a narrator for this kind of material is that I always imagine doing it for someone who's trying to come to terms with coming out and they can have something on their iPhone and be listening in their headphones and it can be a very private liberating experience for them. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like before, before it can it can help them on their journey and give them confidence and hope and optimism um, and inspiration. And I think that's really amazing. And so especially the YA that I get to do, it really hits me in the feels for that reason. But simply getting to give these characters a happy ending that certainly, you know, when I was 14, 15, 16, wouldn't be nearly as plausible mm -hmm. is an incredible, it's an incredible gift. And I'm also really thrilled that the quality of narrators bringing life to this work is really special. You know, you've got really talented guys who, who make the commitment to the genre and, and really do justice to it. And I think I'm, I'm in a very privileged band of, of talented gentlemen who, who are thrilled to, to voice these stories. So I'm very, very lucky. And I think it's amazing to have so many allies out there that don't even fall under the under the LGBTQ flag, but are passionate, passionate allies and embrace these stories and care about them and care about the people they represent. And that's kind of mind blowing in a way. You know, it, it's really it, it's really extraordinary. I'm I think it's it's really lucky and. And really wonderful when you discover new queer authors and new, you know, queer voices and things like that. So, so recently I got to, I got to narrate a book called The Astonishing Life of August March by a new queer writer named Aaron Jackson, um, who I'm obsessed with. And I'm so excited that there's new, like, I consider him a major literary voice coming on the scene and to sort of be on the radar to, to get to work with those authors. And his book isn't, you know, necessarily what you would call a gay book, but he, he heard my voice and 
he heard something and we, we have this weird, we're bonded together by camp, we have discovered. You know, he's he was also someone whose mother sat them down and watched them watch anti-mame at age 11. And you're like, <laughs> what, mother, what were you attempting to accomplish? <laughs> you know, no 12 year old needs to memorize Funny Lady, but I did. So we both kind of had this, this in, interesting thing and he heard that in my voice and I heard that in his writing. And it's, it's this, it gets to extend the family. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's really, it's a special privilege to get to give voice to, to own voices material and to characters that don't get as much attention in mainstream as they should, but they're starting to, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. It really does matter a lot to me. Tell everyone how they can keep up with you online to keep track of all of the books that you put out. The easiest way, I don't, I, I kind of mash my, my, my Joel Leslie stuff and my Joel Frumpkin together in social media together. I just, I keep two separate names just for branding for people that are looking for material or not. So if you're looking for LGBT material, you always know Joel Leslie is what that material is. And Joel Frumpkin is the other stuff. But you can find me on Facebook under Joel Leslie Frumpkin. And Joel Leslie Fro is my Twitter. And yeah, so that's, that's primarily me. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks to Joel and to Haley and to Marshall for giving us all that good interview material over those episodes. It was so great to revisit that and to remember the connection that there was between Haley and Marshall that brought Joel into working with Marshall on Femme. It was really awesome to, to catch that. And I have to say that I'm super eager to read Joel's latest release, which is Manners and Mannerisms by Tanya Chris. I love Joel's historical work that he does. And this book looks like everything. It is so high up on my TBR, I cannot even tell you. And I do want to throw out there, too, you could still tell us about some of your favorites from the last five years of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. Simply go to the submission form that we've got at BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash favorites and tell us who you want to hear on some of these listener favorite episodes that we have coming up. All right. I think that'll do it for this week's show. Now, coming up next in episode 253, Davidson King joins us to talk about To Die For, the latest book in her Joker's Sin series. I enjoyed so much talking to Davidson. I fell in love with her writing with Sticky Fingers, which I read earlier this year. And so I enjoyed finding out about this series and also talking to her about her alternate life as somebody who runs a review blog. Remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.